Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of the Geek Be Geek podcast. This week, we're finally doing something that we've been talking about for a long time. That's right, Kaz, we're talking about our five favorite films of the last decade. Yeah, I'm excited, man. I'm looking forward to it. It should be fun. Um, I don't know if we're going to have that many fights, but I feel like we're going to have a few fights on this. Yeah, yeah, we, we could. I, you know, I feel like there's at least one film um, on here that we're, we're both going to share. Um, but I'm excited to, to hear what, what your picks are. So I'm going to let you start. Um, Kaz, what is your, uh, we're going to, we're going to start with number five and we're going to go all the way through to one. Um, so Kaz, what is your fifth favorite film of the last decade? Okay, great, great. Um, so first off, hope everyone's staying safe out there and social distancing and listening to our podcast for fun. So we're going to try to make this fun for all of you. Um, so if you like some of our picks, don't like some of our picks, you know, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, the real Geek V Geek on Twitter. So, you know, add us and we can discuss that as well. So, my number five, and you might be shocked about this, The Other Guys, starring Will Ferrell. Yeah, Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg. Look, I love that movie from the very beginning when you see Sam Jackson and Dwayne Johnson narr- narrated with uh, Ice-T over top. I mean, it is just perfect. It has one of the funniest lines in movie history to me uh, when Sam Jackson and The Rock on top of a, what, I don't know, what, 15-story building, and they say, aim for the trees. I mean, it is beautifully written. It is it is very funny. Will Ferrell does an amazing job, honestly, acting in that movie. Michael Keaton was amazing in that movie with all his TLC references. Um, I no, I absolutely loved it, man. I thought it was one of the funniest movies, one of the most well written movies. Had a great cast of people uh, throughout the movie, um, and I had to put some comedy in my top five. And that movie, if it, if I see it on TV, I always stop and watch it. And that's kind of been my cri- my criteria for top five movies. If it's on TV, okay. do I stop myself and watch it? And The Other Guys is definitely one that I always do do for. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's interesting. That is not one that I really expected to come up in the course of this conversation. And for me, it was one of those movies that I think I went in with the wrong set of expectations because it was a movie that I didn't really love. Uh, the first time I watched it, and then I heard so many people talking about it. Oh, it's great! It's hilarious! It's this and that, you know. And I went back and I rewatched it, and I enjoyed it. It's one of those movies that I definitely enjoyed a lot more on the second viewing because I, you know, I had a reasonable set of expectations and I knew what to appreciate. Um, but I, I agree with you. I think the opening sequence in that film is is one of the funniest um, opening sequences and one of the most inventive opening sequences. Um, you know, in a, in a film of that genre. So that's definitely an interesting pick. I mean, Dwayne Johnson and Sam Jackson are not small-time actors. They are huge global stars. They're in that yeah. movie for about 10 minutes. Yeah. And that's what I love about it. It's, you know, it's, it's very, oh, you kill the leads off very quickly. You know, unexpected. I mean, you, you know, I, yeah, I, I loved it. I thought it was great, man. I absolutely love that movie. It was so much yeah. fun. Okay, well, I also have something more of a lighthearted film for my number five. This is probably the closest um, that I'm going to come to putting a comedy film. Um, it's not a true comedy, but it's definitely funny. Um, at number five, and my only entry on the list coming from the MCU, is Guardians of the Galaxy. 
Whoa, so I'm more shocked than the only MCU movie. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is the only MCU movie, and you know, it was for. I wanted to make sure that I that I only had one because, again, you know, when we were, when we did our top five favorite characters of the decade, um, you know, it would it could have been really easy for me to do like three or four of them to all be MCU characters, and I wanted to keep it to to one, you know, and and for me, Guardians of the Galaxy and, and Black Panther were kind of like you know, neck and neck. And I thought I've spent so much time on this show talking about Black Panther. Let's talk about some Guardians of the Galaxy for a change. Um, you know, this was, for me, what made this such an amazing movie is how unexpected it was. This was something that took a cast of characters that almost nobody had heard. You know, I mean, unless you were a comic book um, reader, you know, nobody knew who the Guardians of the Galaxy were. Rocket Raccoon and Groot and everything else weren't, um, you know, household names before this film came out. And it immediately became one of the most uh, entertaining and influential movies in the MCU. So I think it definitely deserves a, a, a spot in the top five. I don't disagree. I, I like that movie a lot. I think it's a great movie. Um, and also, to be honest with you, the, the actors um, that they picked on it. I mean, yes, people knew Zoe Zadana. People knew who, who she is. But not a lot of people knew Chris Pat unless you watched um, Parks and Rec. Um, yes, um, Bradley Cooper, very popular, of course, but he was, again, a voice actor. And, I, and almost unrecognizable, too. I mean, most people are not going to hear Rocket Raccoon and go, oh, oh, that's that's obviously Bradley Cooper's voice. You know, I, it doesn't really yeah, sound like that. I, I didn't know it was him until after the IMDb. Like, I looked it up after, like, oh, that's Bradley Cooper. Uh, yeah. I would I would venture to guess I don't know how big um, the WWE is WWE is but Batista I imagine not eighty five percent of the people didn't know who he was right I mean I that, don't think I've ever seen him in anything before that film yeah right so yeah if you knew him from wrestling I guess but again I I, I would think that um, yeah uh, you know and the main villain of that movie and you you you're gonna know his name I don't. You know, uh, it was Lee Pace, right? And he's he's a bit of a bit actor. He's not he's not you know he was uh, he was big in Walking Dead the first season, um, but beyond that he hasn't really been in much else. Oh, so, you're talking about you're talking about Yondu. No, that's Yondu. Rook. Yes, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. I, I thought you were talking about the guy who plays Ronan. Uh, his name's Lee Pace, uh, and and again, like yeah, he wasn't that big either. You know before. Um, before that, the only movie that anybody would really know him from was probably he played Legolas's dad in The Hobbit, in the Lord of the Rings prequels. Um, but he didn't have a huge role, and it wasn't really a big breakout thing for him either. So, right, yeah. So, um, I you know I think all the way around, man. Great, great pick by you. Great movie. Um, I kind of like you said with the other guys. I went in that movie knowing nothing about it, and leaving yeah. going, damn, that movie was great. Great yeah. soundtrack, great acting. Um, Chris Pratt showed he can lead a lead a, a movie by himself, and that really leapfrogged him. He was in other minor movies before, minor role movies before, but that movie really made him okay. You're a standout star now. Um, yeah, that and I think it was I think it was Jurassic World and and then Guardians of the Galaxy, and it was like those two back to back really you know made him an, an A lister. Was Guardians not first? I felt like Guardians was first. Um, you know, I'm not sure. I'll, I'll look it up. I, I, they're very close to each other. I thought it was Jurassic World first, but I could be wrong. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to move on to my next one. And, uh, 
I have more. I have I have two MCU movies, but I have reasons why. Uh, so my next one is actually Captain America: Civil War. Uh, okay. Now this was tough for me because I almost went Winter Winter Soldier because I actually love that one too. I thought Winter Soldier is one of those MCU movies that is it's just a great movie. If you take away even the whole superhero thing, it's just an all all around great movie. Uh, the reason Civil War won for me, and I think you're going to know my answer, is because of one character. Spider-Man. You got it, sir. Spider-Man. And to the point of, uh, I saw Civil War in theaters, and then with some friends. Went again later with another group of friends, and after Spider-Man came through, and I knew he was done, I, 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 uh, I, I kind of left the theater. It's like, yeah, I'm good. This is, I don't need to see the rest of this anymore. I saw my Spider-Man part. I'm good with this. Moving on. Um, I think they did one of the best intros ever for a character in, in Civil War. Um, the relationship between, you know, uh, Iron Man and Spider-Man was great in that movie. Um, they, you know, again, I, you know my love for Tom Holland as the Spider-Man. So, yeah, absolutely. I thought that movie was amazing. And also, I think that movie really kind of did, showed you what's going to happen later on because the rift of... Captain America and Iron Man is what caused Thanos to win in that first movie, right? Because Cap yeah. wasn't around. Like, if Cap would have been around and would have been friends, maybe everything would have been different. And I think them being so split. Now, it was I super happy about the fact that Winter Soldier killed um, Tony Stark's parents? I thought a little bit of a cop-out, like, oh, you killed my parents, that's why I hate you. Oh, I thought it was a great twist. I did I not mean, see it coming. I mean, no, right. Did I see it I kind of saw it coming, just because why else are we keep seeing these scenes of this car going down a road, and then we know it's the Winter Soldier? Like, I was like, okay, that's that's probably Tony Stark's parents. Um, so, I was like, okay, whatever. But, again, I, I, I absolutely loved it. I mean, I, there's very little in that movie that I didn't like. I don't think anything I didn't like in that movie. I thought everything was amazing. Um, although the fact that even characters that weren't there, like Thor and the Hulk, they were still talked about a little bit, just to kind of give you the whole thing. Like, hey, you know, these people all, are always all together, basically. Um, so yeah. I, I loved it. I also thought it, it kind of pivoted the rest of the movies going forward. Saying, hey, this is a rift that's going to happen. Everyone's going to be separate now. And we're going to have that something major bring everyone together. And I think I thought that was great. Well, and the, you know, the other thing, there, there were a lot of things that Civil War did well. Um, one of the things that was really interesting about it, um, you know, aside the fact that not just did it set up Spider-Man really well, but it also set up Black Panther really well. Mm-hmm. It also gave, um, you know, Rhodey a little bit more of, I mean, he still... Rhodey's still never done a whole lot in the MCU, but I feel like it, it you know, gave him kind of an emotional arc and, and showed how important, you know, his relationship was with Tony and, and you know, uh, informed a lot of other characters' motivations. But one of the cool things about, about Civil War is that it was the first one that kind of, like, you know, made the characters think about, are, are they really the good guys or not? You know, is what they're doing helping or are they just, you know, getting people hurt, you know, and, and it made them address the um, collateral damage that's caused, um, you know, in, in a way that was really interesting. 
and then not a lot of movies have done that outside of like Batman versus Superman, which that was one of my favorite aspects of it. It was flawed, of course, um, but that was one of the things that they did well. Um, I feel like, you know, Civil War took that and brought it to the next level. Yeah, I totally agree. And also it's directed by the Russo brothers, which those uh, great directors, and I, I know them from their community days. And so I've always had an... Um, uh, you know, a following of them to see how well they do. And I, I think they, yeah. they did amazing in that movie. One funny thing, and I'll let you get to your next pick here. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's actually a correlation video between Civil War and Batman versus Superman and how closely tied both those movies are to each other, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, same premise of a movie, I guess, you know what I mean? Um, so anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting. But yeah, Civil War. And, and not my only MCU movie, by the way. I have another one. So okay. I'll, let you, okay. I'll let you go next. Um, so number four, uh, for me, this, the, one of the reasons why this was on here is this is probably the biggest surprise hit on my list. Um, you know, this went from something where, uh, when this was the, the first movie by this particular director and when he announced he was making a film, I was like, Oh, I like this guy. You know, let me keep an eye out on what's going on with it. And I had heard about it while it was in the production process. And then it came out and it felt like it was going to be like a really small release that it was mostly going to play in independent theaters and stuff like that. And then it became this kind of huge box office hit. Then it became this critical darling. Then we're all talking about it, you know, in terms of Academy Awards. Um, so for me, and, and I'm going to be shocked if you don't also have this on your list. For me, number four is Get Out. You son of a bitch. <laughs> Did you forget that one? No, it was like my top two. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, it was one of those things where it was very expertly crafted. It was really smart in the way that it, um, in the way that it foreshadowed a lot of things. It made us think about movies and filmmaking from different angles. It did a really excellent job of juxtaposing this absolute, you know, um, horror. With, with comedy as well, there were funny parts. You know, he was great at, at building tension, relieving it with comedy, building it back up again. Um, so for me, you know, number four had to be on the list. Or, I'm sorry, Get Out had to be on the list. Yeah, I'm going to have to pick up another one now because, yeah, that's, I mean, uh, just to piggyback on what you're saying, Get Out is not only one of my favorite movies of the decade, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, and I, I was, I'll be perfectly honest with you, I didn't see it in theaters because I hate scary movies. And that's what I thought it was. I thought it was a scary type movie. And then I remember watching it uh, right before the Oscars because I was like, i got to watch all these movies. And I remember watching it going, I am so pissed at myself for not seeing this movie in theaters. Um, because yeah. it was amazing. It's not a scary movie. You know what? That's, the, that's the, the beauty about that movie. I can't put it in a genre. I don't know what genre to put it. It's not... It's not a comedy, but there's funny parts. It's not scary, but there's scary parts. It's a, it's not a thriller, but they're all parts that are very thriller-esque. See, and I would say it is a thriller. Like, if, if you put a gun to my head and said, pick a single genre, I would say it's a thriller. But is it a bit, But it's also but a bit right. sci-fi, too, though, right? I mean, it, it has, has sci-fi elements to it, which, again, you know, it's... Yeah. And, and we've talked about this a few times in our podcast. I, I just recently rewatched all of Key and Pill, um... And man, the correlations between Key and Pill, the, the sketch comedy show, and I don't know how much of Key and Pill was written by each of those people, right? Key, uh, Jordan Pill and Key. I mean, I, I imagine they each wrote 
each sketch together. But then again, you don't know. Maybe Jordan will wrote some by himself. Had and... some other staff writers pitching right, ideas. Right, absolutely, absolutely. Like um, but a lot of those sketches, I mean, I would say more than ninety percent, go one way and then have this sci-fi flip to it, which is always so cool to me. Um, one of the ones that come to mind. I don't know if you remember the two bellhops, where they basically just talk about, oh, Mel Gibson is my favorite actor, and then Charlize Theron, they do all this stuff, and at the very end, they either explode, or they fly off, or they fall through a big hole. They did a Game of Thrones one, which was really pretty funny. Yeah. Um, I, uh, so that's I, really, a, I was going to say, I really like the one where uh, there's the guy, and he's like... He's like this business executive or something like that, if I'm remembering correctly. And he's in his office and he's struggling with this difficult situation, you know. And and uh, one of them comes in and they're like the janitor, you know. And they're they're giving him like you know sage elderly advice, you know. And then another person comes in and they're trying to give him advice and they're like fighting over who gets to be like you know the token black. Uh, oh yes, yeah, it's very funny. Giver. Yeah, and then this twist to it where they have like magical powers and things like that. <laughs> and it's it's funny because you look at this, you know, I know we're going off on a long key and peel tangent here, but you can see, you know, a lot of the sketches in the first season that are a little bit more safe, you know, that, that have some little twists to it, but they're just kind of topical humor. And then as this the seasons get on, uh, and as they continue with the show, they start taking more risks and you can see how it like you can see how the ideas of things like Get Out and Us started to formulate while they were still writing Key and Peele, which I think is really interesting. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. So, yeah, man, that um, that's not the one I thought that you were going to say that we had the same um, together on. But, okay. Um, I'm going to be surprised if you have any of my next three uh, on your list. So I think we're going to start diverging here pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I can't see that uh, that we would. Um Okay, so moving next for me, um, and honestly, I need to think of a replacement for 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 Get Out now. Um, well, we you can keep Get Out on your list. I mean, you know, we just. So I will say this: Get Out was going to be my next one. So Get Out would have been three uh, okay. for me. So it kind of moves my list a little bit. So my next one, and this is I I didn't mean for it to be go back to back on the MCU universe, but it's going to happen this way. Um, and this is hard for me. It was it, this one and another movie were back and forth, one and one A as far as being my my favorite movie. I but, would be shocked if you don't have Homecoming on there. Wow. Well, be shocked then, because I don't. I don't have Homecoming on here. Uh, wow. I, I love Homecoming. It, it is by far one of my favorite MCU movies. But it, yeah, it's not. I mean, I guess I could put Homecoming as replacing for Get Out, but then I would have three MCU movies, and I really don't want to do that. Um, my next one, actually, is Black Panther. Wait, 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 wait. You're telling me that you put Black Panther on your list, and I didn't. Yeah, that's kind of what happened here. I never would have predicted Yeah, this. I know. I, I thought when I, when I wrote out Black Panther, I'm going to go, either Ben has this or he doesn't have, have it, and he's going to be shocked. Like it was gonna be one of the, two, and that's yep. the thing when you said we're well, the same movie. I was like, oh, Black Panther. Clearly, that's the movie because I didn't think you're gonna put Get Out on there. I honestly did not think you're gonna put Get Out on there. So you know, I, I actually waffled a little bit between Get Out and Parasite because those movies are so similar 
And I ended up going with Get Out simply because, um, one, I didn't watch Parasite until about a week or two ago. Right. And the decade was Tough. already over. Now, it did come out in 2019, so technically it would qualify. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, you know, Get Out for me um, was a little bit more, I don't want to say it's more socially relevant because Parasite is as well. Um, but it was more of a surprise hit. You know, it was a little bit more talked about from the standpoint of, oh, it's Jordan Peele's first movie. Um, so, you know, for me, I, Parasite was almost like what I wanted out of a, I don't want to say a sequel, but a follow-up to Get Out. I thought Parasite was more like Get Out than Us was, and that's why I liked it better. Well, see, I just again, I know we're going on a crazy tangent here on Jordan Peele and Get Out. I don't think Us was a sequel to Get Out. I think it was just a completely different movie. No, no, but is it is a follow up? Sure, I, okay, as a follow up, firing okay. on all cylinders. Now, I thought it did better of juxtaposing the comedy and the horror together. That was one thing it did better than Get Out, and it and it was also really good at setting up those little key things like you know, the kids playing with the lighter and all of these little hints and details in the ambulance at the beginning and, and foreshadowing all kinds of stuff. Like there wasn't a single throwaway line of dialogue, even right. dialogue that felt like it was kind of inconsequential was setting up things that happened later in the film. And I thought that that was really cool, but you know, I, I ended up feeling a little disappointed with it because I didn't like it as much as get out. And then when I saw parasite, it all clicked. It was like, Oh, this is what I wanted Jordan Peele's second movie to be. Gotcha. I understand that. I understand that. So, um, I actually just came up with another, again, I get, we agreed on Get Out. Uh, I'll keep this one brief, but Toy Story 3. Would, okay. Would, would be my was, next one. Um, or is even, that from the last decade? I, I thought that came out in 2009, but I could be wrong. Uh, Toy Story 3 came out in 2010, so I just made it. Okay. All right. So just made the cut. Yeah. Now, you can even say Toy Story 4. I, I kind of hit, I'll put those two together. The reason why I put 3, though, is there is a scene in 3 that is one of the most emotionally wrecking scenes that I have seen in a movie. And I'm not talking about CGI live action. It's the part where. Because, again, you, you didn't know that there was going to be a 4, right? So, Toy Story 3, when they're in the trash heap and they're going towards the fire at the bottom. And they just all stop and hold each other's hands. Look, man, I, I'm not a kid. I'm old. Uh, I, I probably watched this movie when I was 25 years old. I cried. I was like, yeah. Are you Disney, why are you doing this to me? Are you going to kill my characters from my, my childhood? Because I really thought, oh, this is how it's going to end. They're gonna die. This is Bambi. This is Bambi's mom being shot. They're all dying this, in a fire, and all the kids. It's hey, you know what? That's one thing about Disney. They tell you about life and death pretty quick. Bambi's mom dies yep. quick, and you got to move on. Movie. Yeah. This movie kind of did the same thing. So, for just the emotionally wreckness uh, of this, and also the villain and everything that had it. So, Toy Story three. So, again, that's my replacement for Get Out. Back to Black Panther though, because that's actually the movie. Yeah. So the reason why Black Panther's on there, one, it has one of the best mix of music in a movie, as far as the soundtrack goes. The soundtrack Absolutely. is amazing, and they play it very well throughout the movie. Secondly, it has one of the best villains in the MCU universe. Michael B. Jordan, you know, I, I know we talked about this, you know, now that there's been two Jokers to win Oscars, is that going to open it up a little bit? I'm actually kind of pissed that Michael... B. Jordan didn't get at least a nod for his role as Kill, Killmonger. 
Yeah, and I and I think we we talked about this not when we did our Black Panther episode, but when we did our Oscars episode about two years ago, um, or not two years ago, but two Oscars ago, and we had talked about how you know we kind of felt that some of the best supporting actor nominations were a little bit weak, and that Michael B. Jordan really kind of deserved to be to be on that list. Absolutely, he he absolutely was amazing in that movie. Um, so yeah, again. Greatly written, great characters. There's not a scene in that movie where you're like, oh, this is boring. Every single scene in that movie flows perfectly and amazingly. Um, some of the best lines in the Marvel Universe and, and just the universe of movies. So, uh, Black yeah. Panther. So, I'll let you go to your okay. n- number two, right? Are we already up to number two now for you? No, we're, we're on number three. Uh, for you're on number me, three. So, okay. Yeah. So for me, this was a movie that um, I was really excited about because I'd been following this director for a number of years, and, and he's one of my absolute favorite directors in Hollywood and, and probably one of my two favorite directors of the last 10 years. Um, and this was one of those movies where I kind of tempered my expectations a little bit because his previous film was a 10 out of 10 for me. And I felt like following that up with something that was even better would be almost impossible. Um, so for me, number three is Inception. So and what was so? Just curious, his previous film being the Batman franchise, right? His, his previous film was was The Dark Knight. You okay. know, and if okay. somebody said, "Hey, like you know, watching The Dark Knight, and it's still arguably the best comic book movie of all time. It was certainly the best comic book movie of its day. I mean, when it came out." it changed the way comic book films yeah, were, I agree. were I, talked about, were, were watched, were made. So, you know, for me, it was like to say, oh, he's going to follow, he's going to follow that up with, with what's basically this decade's version of the matrix. And it's going to be amazing. I, I would have said like, there's no way it's not possible. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I agree. And bold prediction. I think he's going to do it again with Tenet. I think Tenet is going to be just as good as an Inception, and we're going to say, oh, no, Nolan's hit his peak, and then he's going to come out with it, and we're going to go, nope, he's back. Like, he's he's not, you know. I hope I hope so. You know my disdain for his last movie of Dunkirk, which we can talk about later. So I, I mean, hope Dunkirk so. Dunkirk is definitely his, his most, um, aside from something like Insomnia, which was a remake, so I almost don't count that because it's not like an original film by Christopher Nolan. He didn't write it. Out of all of the ones that he's written and directed, um, Dunkirk definitely feels like the black sheep. I, yeah. I still think it's a good movie, but it's maybe my least favorite um, Nolan movie. But for me, Nolan is a lot like Quentin Tarantino, where I'm like, even my least favorite movie by this director, I still like better than 90% of the movies that I watch. Well, we'll table that for later. A little tease for a second segment today, folks. We'll, we'll yeah. table the Dunkirk conversation for later. So I'm kind of down to my last movie because, again, we shared Get Out. So how about you go ahead and do your number two now? That way we're both okay. on ones. So um, number two and, and by the way, a little side note, Inception almost made my top five. So you okay. we, we almost would have had two of the same ones, which... Great yeah. minds think alike. What can I say? So, well, and, and you know, one of the things that I loved about Inception and really why it was so high on the list is because there's nothing about the formula that's unique. You know, it still takes the same kind of like, you know, film tropes. Oh, they got to pull off one last heist. They got to do one more job. 
You know, it still has... Very the, Rick and Morty like, with one more heist, you son of a right, bitch on yeah. hand. <laughs> I mean, the, the, if you look at the basic structure of the film, it's, it's movie plot 101. But they take all of these ideas that make it feel fresh and make it feel original. So it, it's probably the most familiar feeling movie and one of the most original feeling movies at the same time. And I think that plays into two, you know, separate things that make it a really satisfying movie. You have some nostalgia elements and then you have some elements of, wow, I've never seen this done before. And, and that's what makes it such a great film. And to add on that, too, it's one of those movies where after you leave the theaters, you talk about, because the ending is very open, some people say, yeah. oh, it's all a dream. I have a crazy fan theory that I don't think anyone else agrees with. I think it's a dream from the, there's a part of the movie, like, man, 45 minutes in, where um, Leo's character, he does his spin uh, on a sink, and it falls to the ground, so it never, so it it's it goes over because it falls. But the whole rule of your knickknack is you have to let it do itself. You know, you have to let it spin or, or fall over by itself. Right. So something he like knocks it off. So I think from that moment forward, you never see him again spin it with it falling down. I, so I think it's all of that's a dream from that moment. I think it's I want to say it's when they first try the drug out. I think that I yeah. think that's when he does it. So when he first tries that drug, it's gonna knock everyone out, and he he gets up, quote unquote, and then he runs to the sink and he throws water in his face and he tries to spin it, and then um, someone comes and talks to him and he knocks it over. I'm like, oh, yeah. Therefore, it's all a dream. It's all fake now. So and, and I think that's one of the great things about the movie is everybody has their own read and their own interpretation, and right. and you know, that's what makes it fun. And, and ten years later, we're still talking about it. And and, um, and, so, and that's a sorry one last thing and um, I just want to say one thing um, and I'm, I'm looking it up here because I want to make sure I get this person's um, information right here. Uh, Michael Caine, who's in the movie, he was interviewed. Yes. Oh man, I don't know a while ago, and he said he was told, he was told by Christopher Nolan, any scenes that you are in is real. And I, I think that I think that adds another kind of level to it where it's like, is the is that true? Right, is exactly. That, is is Christopher Nolan just lying? Or yeah. Did, did Nolan just tell him that because that's how he wanted his character's motivations to be involved? Exactly. Exactly. That's kind of what I was getting at. Is how do you think about that? So yeah, so again, man, great great pick. Your last two picks. I mean, bravo on you. Get out and inception. Yep. Good both sci-fi type movies too, so I, I'm I'm a fan of that. So, uh, so yeah, number two is going to come as kind of a big shock and also not at all a surprise. I think you're going to be shocked that it's not number one, um, but you're not going to be at all surprised that I have this director here on my list. Um, and I had I had said that when I put this list together that I really only wanted. Um, one film from each director. Like I didn't want to put multiple Nolan movies on there. I was going to pick my favorite Nolan movie. You know, I was going to pick my favorite, even though they're multiple different directors, I didn't want to have more than one MCU film. So this for me was the best of Wes Anderson over the last 10 years. I knew it. The Grand Budapest Hotel. I knew that. In at number two. Um, here's what's really interesting for me about this movie is that it's visual style very much like, in, you know, how I said Inception was familiar yet unique at the same time. I feel like Grand Budapest did that, too. Uh, they did a great job of using that sort of pastel color scheme 
Um, they use the, the sort of like stop motion figures and animations to great effect in certain scenes. One of the most interesting aspects to me of this film that a lot of people don't talk about is it's actually shot in three separate aspect ratios. So there's three different timelines going on. You have the opening sequence where there's the present day and the person is reading about the story in a book and it's shot in ultra widescreen. I believe it's two, two, three, five to one. Then you have all of the um, the narration, which is F. Murray Abraham's character talking to Jude Law's character, and all of the scenes are in 16 by 9, which is regular widescreen. And then you have all of the scenes that take place during F. Murray Abraham's story. So all of the, the past, which is a good portion of the film, are actually shot in like a 4 by 3 aspect ratio, which is like what old TVs were like CRT TVs um, before um, you know, before we started having flat screens and wide widescreen. So the interesting thing is that it's constantly shifting back and forth with these different visual styles and these different aspect ratios for each timeline that you're in. So not only does it help you keep track of when and where everything is happening without you being you know, aware of it, it does it for you almost subconsciously. Um, but you also have this, you know, interesting, um, you know, the visual, the visual style continuously changes as the film goes on. And, and it makes it just, for, for me, I know a lot of people think that Wes Anderson is boring, but I watched that movie on the edge of my seat the whole time. Like I, I can't think of anything that I've watched in the last really 20 years where I've been so entertained by a film while watching. I 100% knew you were going to have a Wes Anderson movie on there. That was not shocking at all. Of course you would. I thought you were going to have more than one, honestly. But I understand your your criteria is to do one. So uh, Yeah, I, yeah, I, I mean, it. I don't know that as much as I love Isle of Dogs, I don't know that it would have made the top five cut. Maybe the top 20. Um, and Moonrise Kingdom, I very could have easily put on there, but that one's a little bit older, and I really feel like um, some of the ideas that Anderson executes really well in Grand Budapest, sort of, he started to play around with during Moonrise Kingdom. So for me, Budapest is a little bit more polished. Um, it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit more entertaining. It's kind of more seamless from beginning to end um, where I love Moonrise Kingdom but it's a little bit more scattershot but Moonrise Kingdom might also make my top 10 list yeah I can see that so now we're down to number one correct yeah I've got one film left so I don't know how much of a shock mine will be I think you know the love I have for this movie and you know how much I love the leads in this movie and I will to my dying breath, say the wrong supporting quote-unquote actor got the Oscar for this movie, is Django Unchained. Yeah. No, my number one movie of the decade, Django Unchained. And it's, and it's close. It was, it was actually closer than I thought when I was looking over it, but not as close as it probably should be. Django was... I, I, look, there's not a single piece of dialogue or movie scene or action sequence in that movie that is not warranted and needed. Um, every Everything in that movie was beautifully written and, and done. Um, 
I even like the music. I know some of the people didn't like the music because they didn't feel like it fit with the gener- you know, the time period. You know, Rick Ross is on a is on a song in the movie. I I think it I think it kind of worked because it kind of was just said, hey, this is the deep hard song for this moment of what's going on. Um, again, I will always say Leo deserved an Oscar over Christopher Waltz in that movie. Not to take anything away from Mr. Waltz, but I thought he was a lead actor, not a supporting actor. But I get it. Django is the name on the title, so he's technically the lead. But it is what it is. Um, but, I mean, honestly, you can boil that whole movie down for me for the, the kitchen scene. Where Leo smashes his hand and basically tells Jamie Foxx about his father's, um, you know, slave and the school and Christopher Watts refusing to shake his hand and shoot him right in the chest. Um, yeah, no, look, you know, that movie was amazing to me and it's number one and it's probably my favorite Quinn Tarantino movie of all time. I was just saying a lot cause I love Pulp Fiction. Um, but yeah, Django Unchained, number one. And then it's, uh, yeah, that's, again, whenever it's on TV, even the edited version, Whenever it's on TV, I sit there and I'll watch that movie. Yeah, you know, and, and for me, like, Tarantino is absolutely my favorite director to not make this list. Um, and I agree with you. I also feel that Django Unchained was his best movie of the last 10 years. Um, I, I really love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and it was one of those movies where I didn't appreciate it as much as I do now the first time I watched it. Um you know, you go back and you notice things the second time. Um, to me, I think really the only reason why Django, as much as I love that film, didn't really make the cut is every every other one of these movies that I have on the list, um, I've watched multiple times. I've spent more time talking about. I've spent more time kind of digesting these films and, and thinking about them. And, and um, you know, Django for me was something that I watched once and I loved it. And it's kind of in that box where I keep saying I need to go back and rewatch it, but watching a two and a half hour film with a four month old in the house is, is really tough. Um, you know, and I talk all the time about how I, I don't really love Martin Scorsese as a director. And one of the complaints I have about him is that all of his movies are, you know, two and a half to three hours long, and they, they all feel like they're too long. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that this was a film where there's really no, there's no filler, there's no fluff, there's no extra fat on this movie. Like, it's two and a half hours long, but it's a tight two and a half hours. And mm-hmm. every scene, um, you know, feels necessary. And every scene feels like it just builds on this world that Tarantino's created. Um and, and again, I know I've said this about a lot of movies um, on this list, but it does a great job of juxtaposing, um, you know, really sincere, you know, tragic, almost horrifying things that, you know, we're talking about people owning slaves and you're seeing this very, you know, intense racism. And then you're, you're also laughing at it. I mean, that scene where they're all getting ready for the raid and they're putting the bags on their heads and, and they're, you know, talking about how they can't see out of the bags and the eye holes won't cut right. And let's not do the bags. And next time we'll do them right. And the guy's getting pissed because his wife spent all the time cutting the bags. I mean, that is one of the funniest scenes in film history. And it's, you know, it, it's right in the middle of this really horrifying racism. And he manages to still, 
you know, get you to laugh at it. And, and it, I mean, it's, it's very unique when it comes to the way we talk about social issues now. Yeah. So I agree again. Yeah. I, I, there's nothing more I can add to that. I absolutely love Django. Um, I love Leo in it. Um, I do need to rewatch once upon a time in Hollywood a few more times to get the love of, of that. Um, you but kind I of remember, have to come I, to the fact you have to come to terms with the fact that it's a hangout movie and that there right. is going to be some stuff that feels unnecessary in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but it it the fact that it feels unnecessary is why it's necessary. And I know that that sounds contradicting, but you almost have to just spend some time with these characters and their mundane day to day lives in order for that final scene, and I, I don't even want to give it away because I know some people, a lot of people haven't seen it, but the last scene is shocking and it's surprising. And amazing. Uh, and, and amazing. And, and right, amazing. And you have to, and amazing, and you have to, it, it wouldn't have that same impact if you hadn't, you know, spent some time with Margot Robbie just watching the film in the theater and kicking her feet up, or, you know, Brad Pitt is fixing stuff around his house and driving around L.A. You know, right. you needed those kind of small, quiet, mundane moments to make the ending sequence really stand out. Yeah, totally agree. So I'm excited to know who is, what is your number one movie of the decade, sir? Right. What do you got? The, the, the number one movie, and I'm going to give you a little background on why this deserved to be number one. Um, this is a film that is largely filmed with practical effects. You know, you mentioned the Russo brothers earlier and not to take anything away from them and how great they are. A lot of these MCU films, let's look at Endgame, you know, were primarily shot in front of green screen with a ton of actors and a ton of special effects. And, and you know, this was a movie that um, you had explosions, you had car crashes, you had practical effects, and it was inarguably the largest stunt performance undertaking in film history. Um, this is, when it comes to the technical aspects of the direction of the film, there's really only one person in the world who could have made this movie, and that's George Miller. And Mad Max Fury Road is my number one pick of the last decade. I could see why you picked that. Um, I mean, this was just, it's a masterclass in filmmaking. With with the exception of some of the um, you know dust storm effects and lightning effects, almost everything you see in the movie was was really shot the way you're seeing it. The fire, the explosions, the guys swinging from vehicle to vehicle, um, you know the the vehicles crashing. All of that was was filmed practically, um, and to coordinate all of that, to film all of that to edit it and put it together the way he did, I mean, there's really, there, there's no one else who could have done that. This is a black swan film, you know, that is u unique. There is no other movie like it in the world for that reason. So you're saying he couldn't make his own lightning. Come on, man. What kind of director are you? You can't make your own lightning. <laughs> on, throw him out on that alone. You can't make your own lightning. Get out of here. Yeah, um, yeah. So I'll be honest with you. I didn't love Mad Max. I thought it was visually beautiful. Like, I love the visuals of the movie, of course. And I think some of those scenes could be movie, po like, be posters. I would have them on my house right now. I just, you know, 
you know my you know my my love hate for Tom Hardy and the fact that you can't understand him at all. I love Charlie. I love Charlie Theron in that movie that though. For a second, right? Let's talk about Tom Hardy. Yeah. Now, you know, I understand a lot of people if they didn't like his portrayal of Bane in Batman, he was so notoriously difficult to understand that they actually had to re-record every line of dialogue for the film because the first version, you couldn't even understand without subtitles. I didn't so, know that. I didn't I know it was did. worse originally. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I get it. I understand. And it, it, it was like, I, I think his first line in the movie is something like, Oh, perhaps she's wondering why someone would shoot a man before throwing him out of a plane. And my first thought was like, did Sean Connery do his voice? What's going on here? Why does he sound Scottish? Like, what's going on with this? And it it was weird and it was a little, you know, um, it was a little jarring to sort of hear it. And you, you had to ease into, you just kind of had to accept it and be like, okay, it's a weird take on the character, but let's move forward. And ultimately, as much as I love that, you know, Bane was such a badass in the movie, I thought he was a little bit underused. Like, I wanted to see him, like, just totally rage out, and we only get a, a small glimpse of that at the end. Here's my ultimate point, though. I feel like the fact that in Fury Road, this, the fact that you couldn't always understand what he was saying, that he was mumbling a little bit, just fed into the character more. I mean, this is somebody who has spent most of his life in isolation um, he doesn't talk to people. He doesn't communicate with people. And obviously those skills are going to be diminished from having lived his life, you know, in solitude. Um, so was it, was it an, you know, could they have just had him talk normally? Yeah. But we're also talking about a movie that had to be dubbed for American audiences, even though its original language is English, because when they ported it from Australia, no one could understand the Australian dialect. So I, I feel like it, it just it made sense within the context of his character, even if it was a little inconvenient while watching it. Yeah, I mean, of all the Tom Hardy movies, Free Road, he wasn't the worst in. He was much worse in Dark Knight. He was pretty bad in Lawless. Um, there's other movies that he's been in where he's like, dude, I can't understand you, and I'm tired yeah. of you as an actor. But, again, yeah, Mad Max, a great pick. Again, visually amazing. Um, so we kind of teased this a little bit. Our next, we're going to take a brief break, and we'll be right back, and we're going to do top five worst movies now that we both have. And... Um, it's going to be interesting. I think this list is going to cause a lot of fights. As much as we and agreed I, on this list, I think we're going to be fighting each other on the next list. And not just five worst films of the decade, but five worst films of all time. So, Of all time. Good. So, yeah, we're going, to, we're going to be fighting here pretty soon. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Top uh, least favorite films of all time. So stick with us. Thanks for sticking with us. It's Geek v. Geek. Justin, I'm here. Ben's here. The first segment, we did our top five best movies of the decade. We have to do the yin and the yang. So this is the yang of it. Or the yin, depending on how you look at things. This is the our least favorite movies. Um, but we're going to have it wide open. Not for the decade, but of all time. So, uh, Ben, I'm going to let you start first with your uh, fifth worst or... Fifth best worst? I don't know how you want to phrase this. 
uh, yeah, so, movie of all time for you. You know, and I, I'm going to start by kind of giving you a little bit of my qualifications for this because, you know, five worst movies of all time, it would be really easy to say, um, oh, let me just pick like five, you know, shitty, you know, B-movie, low-budget pieces of garbage. I kind of wanted to stick to like, movies that at least most people would have seen and most people could go like, Oh no, I actually really liked that movie or, or, you know, sort of agree with and go, yeah, that was a flaming ball of fire. Um, so maybe it would be more accurate to say like, these are my five, like most hated movies of all time, or these are my five biggest disappointments. Um, so I'm going to start with number five. Um, this is a movie for me, um, that out of, you know, all of the directors on this list, he's done uh, one of my favorite movies of all time, one of the few films that I would call a perfect 10. And I feel like almost everything he's done uh, really in the last 15 years has been style over substance. He is a director who has really tried to um, elevate filmmaking from a visual standpoint, but he's done it by completely abandoning any sense of like story structure or content. Um, so for me, I have to go number five, Ang Lee's Life of Pi. I'm going to fight you. I'm going to fight you so hard. <laughs> what the hell? Life of Pi I was mean, visually here's, here's beautiful. I, I, oh. absolutely, I absolutely hate oh, um, you know, Deus Ex Machina in, in storytelling. We're going to sit here and we're going to have you invested in these characters and these visuals and we're telling this compelling story. And then at the end, fuck you, none of it ever I don't want to do this. Ben, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm done. I think I think I think you I think you ended the podcast. I think we're done forever. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm so sad. Ah. Uh, okay, uh, continue, continue your your bullshit on Life of Pi. Continue no, it. that's it. That's why I hate uh, Life of Pi. And and look, look, I can't tell you that any of the visuals are bad. Visually, it's a stunning movie. But I mean, it's just it's so infuriating to be invested into something like that for an hour and a half. And then, oh, by the way, none of it ever happened. He made the whole fucking thing up. or It's all an allegory. Who wait, wait, wait. You don't know that. You bullshit. don't know it's made up. You think it's made up. He never really no, told you. No, this is not like Inception where it's like <laughs> ooh, the top starts to wobble. And is it real? Is it not real? I mean, this is this is quite obviously uh, the whole thing was the whole thing was bullshit. And, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to draw a parallel here to one of my favorite movies of all time and something that's pretty close to a perfect 10 for me. Um, spoiler alert for Pan's Labyrinth. But Pan's Labyrinth is a very similar thing where you have this little girl and she's experiencing um, civil war in her country. And, you know, she's visited by all these, like, fantastical fairy tale characters and creatures and and there's this whole story building around it. And then at the end, you know, they sort of go, oh, is it real? Or was this her imagination? Was this her way of coping with these really horrifying events that she lived through? I like to think that it wasn't real, that she was coping with all of these things. But that's a good way of having that type of plot twist where there's a reason behind it. We're saying like, oh, this is her mind's way you know, of dealing with these really horrifying events. For me, Life of Pi just felt really cheap. It just felt like it was, you know, like he just wanted to tell the story. I just didn't, it, nothing in that movie connected with me. Okay, whatever you say. Um, 
Moving on to my number five worst movie, or least favorite movie, and I think you're going to fight me on this one, so we're fair, Dunkirk. Okay. Oh, wow. Well, kind of took that way better than I thought I you mean, would. I mean, look, I kind of expected Dunkirk to be on the list, and, and like I said in the previous segment, I feel that Dunkirk is one of Nolan's weakest films. Um, that, and don't write me on this one, Interstellar. Those are his, like, two of my kind of... Least I'm about to at you. Interstellar was but, amazing. <laughs> but he, but here's the thing. Like, but, yet, but yes, my least favorite Nolan films are still, like, an 8 out of 10 for me. Oh, see, so, Dunkirk's like a 1 out of 10 for me. I mean, what, okay, what's so objectively bad about okay. Dunkirk? Yeah, thank you. So here's the reason why it's so bad. One, the trailer was a lying piece of shit. The trailer made you think it was a war movie made by Christopher Nolan, which, if I give you a premise of Christopher Nolan's making a war movie, your head fucking explodes. You're like, what? Christopher Nolan? The Batmans? The fucking Interstellars? The fat guys making a war movie? Oh, it's going to be amazing. And it starts with, again, Mr. Tom Hardy, not able to hear or understand what he's saying in a plane, flying around. Once again, like, wearing a mask. Yeah, still wearing a mask because he's a thing for masks. And you're like, okay, it's a pretty cool little dogfight here. And by the way, is that term still allowed? Dogfighting? Has that, has that not been polit- like politically corrected out of terminology yet? No, I think that's still the. I think that's still the accepted nomenclature. Yeah, okay, so they're dogfighting, and look, that was really cool to see. And so you're like, all right, here we go. It's gonna be war. It's gonna be amazing. And the rest of that movie, one person dies, and it, he gets punched in the face. And you're like, oh, well, that, that, okay. So that's that's what we're, the movie's about boats now? This is what the movie's about? It's about boats well, picking up people? I mean, I mean, part of it, I'm going to pick on you a little bit here. Part of that is your fault for not understanding the history. Yeah, you know what? I go to movies to not know history. Movies should be entertaining to me. I just not. I don't need. I don't also, have to do a history report on a movie. Also, spoiler alert: the Titanic sinks in the end. Bullshit! Don't, don't believe it. Don't believe coming. it. I don't uh, believe it at all. Yeah, look. I mean, is this a slow movie? Yeah, it's the slowest movie. It. It's the uh, slowest movie. I, 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 it's I mean, so I, slow, I man. It. It's, it's like, so slow. It takes. It's, it's, it's like a three-hour movie man that takes on, five hours. It's like watching Man on Fire and expecting a full-blown action movie and not like a tense revenge thriller. No, so I disagree. I think, went, I, I, dis- I think you went into it with the wrong set of expectations, but that doesn't mean it's an objectively bad film. It's the cinematography bad movie. was great. The yeah. music was amazing. Um, and, and, you know, the story behind it, the emotion behind it was, I think today... You know, it's even more relevant than than if this movie had been made. You know, at the height of like World War II films. You know, like with Tora 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 or Midway or you know Patton or any of those movies. No, I just I I, I didn't like it. In fact, I think a better um, movie to uh, uh, description or, or depiction of that time, which Dunkirk is based on the you're gonna the Battle of what? It's like the Battle of a where these ships came and picked up these soldiers. Um, the Gary Oldman movie did a better version of that. Oh, The Darkest Hour. Yeah. They do a 10-minute synopsis of basically what Dunkirk is five hours about, and that was more entertaining than all of Dunkirk. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, and I didn't see that film, so I really can't, uh, I really can't comment yeah, on it. Yeah, it's a great movie. I, I highly, 
highly recommend okay. you you're watching it. So all right, move okay. on. What, what do you have for no, so your number four? So for me, for number four, uh, this is a film that I really, out of anything on the list, I maybe had the highest expectations going into. Uh, I, it, it is a sequel. It's the first sequel on here of about three. Um, and this was one of my favorite movies, the original one. Um, where it was a surprise hit for me. Um, it took a very familiar genre and kind of made it more relevant, more entertaining for modern day. And then the sequel came out, and I have never um, hated a sequel more uh, than this film um, to, to when the first movie I really liked, um, and that's Kingsman 2. Um, wow. There's, there's a scene in the beginning of Kingsman 2 um, where the main character, Eggsy, is is trying to escape from whoever's trying to kill him. I don't fucking care at this point. But he jumps <laughs> into a sewer. He jumps into a sewer in order to, to avoid his pursuers, and it was just like a metaphor for the entire fucking movie. It was like five minutes of a pretty cool, you know, car chase scene, and then, oh, the whole thing's just fucking going to shit. And it was absolute garbage. Uh, the plot motivations behind the villains were mind-boggling. They killed off characters that shouldn't have been killed off. They brought back characters that they should have kept dead. Um, Elton John was in it as himself and running around, like, being chased by mechanical dogs. I mean, it's just a fucking garbage film. Wow. I mean, that is some, uh... I, like, I didn't think that movie was horrible, I don't think it was near near as good as the first one. I definitely give you that. But yeah, okay. I mean, I, I it's hard for me to fully disagree with you on that one. Um, for for me, this is the largest disparity between what I would score the first film and what I would score the second film. And it's like the first film is like an eight or a nine for me, and the second film is like a one or a two and and it, there's never been that big a swing yeah, that's from a the big first swing movie to the second movie. that's a big swing now, even movies like the matrix where people hate the second one and the third one i actually think they're pretty good they're not as good as the first movie but i'm like okay the first movie is a 10 and the second movie and the third movie are like an eight and a seven respectively so we're really only dropping two or three points here with this it's like we drop a hard seven or eight points yeah okay okay respect respect uh, my next one is also a sequel, or a triple, I should say, and it's the one of two superhero movies I have, Spider-Man 3. Yeah, Spider-Man 3 is hot garbage. Yeah, and the main reason why it's on there, beyond the emo um, Tobey Maguire Venom, they destroyed Venom in that movie. And we have yet to have a good Venom in a movie yet. Not yet. Yeah. Still haven't had it. I can honestly put Tom, Tom Hardy's Tom Hardy Venom our, on here. One hope, but what, what? You know, Tom Hardy. I was like, when they were like, Tom Hardy's going to be Venom. I was like, great, this is going to be awesome. That movie's a two out of ten. Yeah, honestly, I could put Tom Hardy on here as my other worst favorite movie. Um, I just don't want to keep doing all of these um, superhero movies, but yeah, I, and yeah. I think hopefully our listeners understand now the love I have for Spider-Man and how much it hurts me to put this movie on here, but I'm being objective and I'm being real. That movie was horrible and it still made a billion dollars, but that movie was absolutely horrible. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah. What do you have next for that one? 
Okay, so for me, number three, and um, this was not something that I, I don't know why I ever saw the second one, because I hated the first one. And a lot of people are going to argue with me with this one. I think this one's going to be a little bit controversial. Big shock coming from me. Um, but I really fucking hate Crank 2. Yeah, okay. Uh, crank 2, high voltage. And I look, I understand that a lot of people are going to say, oh, you're missing the point. It's supposed to be bonkers. It's supposed to be crazy. It's supposed to be over the top. But it's just a fucking infuriating movie to watch. Like, the acting is absolute garbage. The plot is nonsensical. It's sexist. It's racist. It's a, just a fucking stupid-ass, disgusting movie. And you know what? It's not like it's like, you know, a lot of people said, oh, Aquaman's great because it doesn't take itself too seriously. And it's a little bit bonkers, and it kind of leans into the craziness a little bit. Cool. That worked for Aquaman. It doesn't work for Crank 2 because none of the action sequences are actually entertaining to watch. At one point, for no fucking reason at all, two guys are fighting, and it switches to this, like, Godzilla style. Um, like, they're both dressed up in monster suits, and they're fighting each other, and then it goes back to normal, and there's no explanation for it. It's just fucking stupid. It's nonsense filmmaking, and I hate it. Yeah, I can't really disagree. I'm surprised you even put Crank. I mean, I I don't think that's even that big of a movie put on there, but yeah, okay, I don't disagree with that. I mean, look, these are kind of cult movies. A lot of people like them because they're goofy and they're weird and they're over the top and they don't take themselves too seriously. I just think in 2020, it's time to move on from that. They're just objectively bad films. Yeah, I'm okay with that. So my next one kind of falls along those same lines. Max Payne. And the reason why Max Payne's on there is because that video game was so fucking amazing. I remember playing that game and being legitimately scared at times. Thinking, what the fuck's going to jump out at me right now? And what's going to mess with my head? And I remember watching the movie going, oh, that's shitty. From From the very first part of it to the end, not a single part of that movie was good. And I love Marky Mark. Marky Mark, I like that guy as an actor. He was horrible. Yeah, I like Mark Wahlberg. He was horrible in that movie. Horrible. Yeah. Um... Yeah, Neil was, was really bad in it. Um, yeah, it was a terrible film. It did it did nothing to really kind of nail the film noir elements of the video games. Yeah, I thought I'm with you. I thought there's no good. tie. Yeah, there's no tie. Now th- this one was close to me. There's another one called Aaron Flux, Charlie Theron. Basically, same mm-hmm. premise. I remember watching that cartoon as a kid, thinking, "Oh, this is visually amazing." And they ever made this to a movie, be really, really good. And they tried it, and it was it was absolutely horrible. But yeah, Max like, Payne I wins. Think it was one of those. I think Ann Flux was one of those like early MTV cartoons. It was. Like Oddworld and Daria. That and the, but, but this, had this unique visual style. But it was also late at night. Like that would, because it was very, oh. honestly, sexually graphic. It would only air at like midnight. Yeah, so, I don't know if they had the same TV ratings back then, but if it came out today, it would definitely be like that TV MTV. Oh, absolutely. 100%. 100%. So what do you have? What, what's next? Were you wearing number four now? <sighs> Okay, uh, yeah, well, we're, we're up to number two, so we've got the Sure, we've got top two, two worst movies left. Um, look, people are going to be pissed off about this. I get it. Don't write me. I'm not saying I don't like this director at all, but he does earn the top one and two spots on my list. And the whole reason why we even started this segment in the first place is because we were talking about how much I hate certain Steven Spielberg movies. That's right. Spielberg, considered to be one of the best directors of all time, is in my top one and two. Um, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is just a garbage film. I mean, why is Kate Blanchett playing like a Russian uh, operative um, with a terrible 
um, accent that's kind of borderline racist, to be honest. Um, you know, he at one point in the movie, he jumps into a lead-lined refrigerator in a fake 1950s neighborhood in order to um, survive a nuclear bomb test. Now, to his um, credit, to his credit. It's in the first 10 or 15 minutes of the film. But to his credit, the government did, the only option the government gave people during that time was duck and cover. So at least he did more than that. But it, it was, it's just, it <laughs> I agree. It's, it's stupid. And not it's absolutely stupid. Way. Yes. And, and look, you know what? Here's the thing. Um, I, I, I feel like there's just these pitch meetings where they <laughs> sit around and they're just like, Oh, Hey, um, well, well, but guys, it's a Steven Spielberg movie and we really don't know how to end it. Um, so we need to either come up, we need something crazy. Like, should we put dinosaurs in this one or do we need to do aliens? And be like, well, you know, we haven't done dinosaurs in a while, guys. Well, yeah, I understand, but I think Aliens really makes a lot more sense for Indiana fucking Jones. <laughs> Get your head out of your ass. Stop putting Aliens in every fucking movie. And you know what? This wasn't even the worst offense. I'm going to save that for number one. Oof. Okay. Yeah, okay. I, I, I remember leaving the theater going, did I, did I just see that? Like, was that, was that the movie I just watched? Because... And I didn't even mention Shia LaBeouf. I'm just going to leave it at that. And I feel bad for Shia LaBeouf in that movie, honestly. No, I don't think, ever feel bad for Shia LaBeouf. Look, here's the thing. I think he's actually a good actor. I think I think he gets a raw deal from his outside stuff. But, in all honesty, he's a good actor. Peanut Butter Falcon was an amazing movie. That movie got snubbed completely. Peanut Butter Falcon was was a good film. I'll give you that. Yes. And I don't, it's I don't probably know if you, his best movie. It's probably Shia LaBeouf's best performance. Eh, it's up there. And I don't know if you watch the show that I like a lot called Hot Ones, where really high-profile people eat wings. He was on that show. Actually, I would suggest watching it just because it's good to see him in that element of outside media. But that's a tangent going off the, the side. And I feel bad for sliding up that movie because the premise that I understood going into it, oh, they're going to tease the new young Indiana Jones. And I think Shia was supposed to be that. But that movie did so horrible, they're like, oh, you're done. We're shelving this. You're not going to be... Because there's rumors of another Indiana Jones now coming out. So we'll see what they do with the the next one. I mean, if they do it, who knows? But maybe that one goes on your top list again. Um, So my next one, and I don't know how how many people have seen this movie. I feel like there's probably a, a huge spike in people watching this movie after the last year's Oscars. Snowpiercer. Okay, yeah, I get it. Hated, and here's the thing, this is the reason why I hated this movie so much. One, I knew nothing about it. Never heard of it before. But so many people I knew, and maybe you had the same thing, Ben. So many people I knew were like, have you seen Snowpiercer? It's amazing, go watch it. Have you seen Snowpiercer? It's the greatest movie ever, go watch it. Fine, I'll go watch it. I, 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 heard, I kept hearing about this movie. I watched it. It took me three times to watch it, Ben. Three times. I watched it once. Midway through, it was like, this is horrible. And I had to stop. Again, peer pressure. Went back, watched it again. Got a little bit farther than halfway. It's like, nope, can't do it. The third time, I basically uh, clockwork, clockwork orange my eyes and watched the damn movie. Horrible. The only yeah. saving grace in that movie, and this is not even a joke to me, the only reason it's not number one is there's a YouTube video that says Snowpiercer and Willy Wonka are tied together. That's the only yeah. reason why it's up there is because of crazy fan theory about Willy Wonka and Snowpiercer. 
only reason it's not number one is because of that. Yeah, I mean, this is a movie that is universally acclaimed. It has an 84 Metacritic rating. It has a 7.1 user rating on IMDb. And a lot of times you'll see movies that where, you know, those numbers, there's a huge disparity there where critics loved it, but people hated it, or people loved it, critics hated it. Uh, but this is like universally loved by everybody. Oh. And I agree with you. Like, I don't understand it. Um, it's the, the movie just, I, it, it didn't seem to pick a consistent visual style that was really good. It's full of plot holes and logic inconsistencies. Um, you know, I, I love, um, I think, you know, uh, Bong Joon-ho is a great director, but I feel like this is one of his, you know, um, one of his misses. I don't feel like this is a, a well-directed film. The visual style is weird. A lot of the shot framing doesn't really make sense to me. It feels like a B movie. Um, so yeah, I get it. I, I'm not, I, I absolutely love Bong Joon-ho. I'm glad he won best director. I'm glad he won best picture. Um, you know, he's, he now, uh, is the only person to win four Academy Awards, um, for the same movie. Um, so I, all, excuse me. All of that is great. I just don't like Snowpiercer. And two things I want to tell the fans about: one, they're making a damn TV show about this. Which, please, please don't. I don't know why you're doing that. I actually think it might be better as a TV show, uh, but I feel like that's a debate topic for a different episode. Yeah, we can go down that road. And secondly, let's uh, let's tell our, our fan base our bonding moment over Snowpiercer. So again, Ben, I, I watched it before you after the third time. Yeah. Yeah. And I know everyone around our group was telling you to watch it. And you asked me, hey, Justin, should I watch this movie? And my response was, look, man, sure, go watch it. And I remember you texted me and you said, hey, I just finished Snowpiercer. And my response well, was. I think when I had watched it that I didn't know your opinion on it. You and did so not. I watched it. You did not. And like the first thing was like, I got to text Kaz. And I was very cautious, like, <laughs> not to give you any hints, like, whether I loved it, whether I hated it. I was just, like, really casually, like, oh, hey, man, um, have you seen Snowpiercer? And then I remember going, like, yes, dot, dot, dot. Now, here's the thing, fans. I thought Ben was going to like it. Because, again, I'm a black sheep in this. Everyone I know loves this movie. I'm one of the few people that think it's horrible. So I thought, Ben, this is going to be another divide between us. And he's going to go, oh, man, it's the greatest movie ever. So right. you asked me, and I, I, I basically said yes, dot, dot, dot. And I don't exactly remember what you said, but I believe you it said... Was, it was one of those, like, nobody wanted to be the first one to flinch. It was like, yeah, <laughs> um, I saw it. Uh, it, was an, it. It was an interesting movie. Yeah, yeah. It yeah, basically it was like, finally, yes. Like, after we both kind of, like, you know, tested out the waters, it was like, okay, I fucking hated it. Oh, yes, yeah, you did. I fucking hated it, too. And, oh. and I, I think I texted you and I was like, this isn't good for our reputation. Like, don't let them know we had this conversation. <laughs> yeah, no, we agree. And it was, it was honestly one of the most bonding moments we had. Um, yeah, because, sure. and again, I was at his wedding, folks. This is a more bonding moment. The, the <laughs> love that we had for Dunkirk. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, no, both hated that movie and I, I didn't love you. I love you more in that moment than I've ever had before, Ben. Because yep, I was like, finally, someone fair. who knows movies hates this movie so, as much as I do. So on that note, I think we're on my number one most hated film of all time. We are. We are. And um, I don't think that we're going to argue too much over this movie because I don't feel like this is one that you have any particular love for. Now, we already know 
um, that it is a Spielberg movie. We already know that there is aliens in it. No, it's not Close Encounters of the Third Time uh, or the Third Kind. My most hated movie of all time: Artificial Intelligence. Yeah, I've never seen it. Never cared to see it, so I so don't care. Here's, so here's the thing: I uh, if you haven't ever seen Artificial Intelligence, let me break it down for you. And I'm not even going to put a spoiler alert in front of this because you're not missing anything. Um, it, it is about a woman who is not able to have children. It's the only thing she wants in the world. So she adopts a small robot android child who is programmed to do nothing but love her. Then in a really unexplicable turn of events and for a reason that they never explain, she fucking hates the thing, even though it's all she's ever wanted in life. So she gets rid of it. He's programmed to love her. So he goes on this journey where he tries to find her, um, and he hears this story of Pinocchio, where Pinocchio was unloved, but a magic fairy turned him into a real boy, and then he got to live his normal life. So he he steals a futuristic flying car um, from the man who invented him, and he flies it to Disney World, where he finds a statue of wait, the Wait, wait, is it fairy. he actually goes to Disney World? He goes to Disney World. He wow. finds a statue of the blue fairy from Pinocchio, and he sits in front of it. For thousands of years, finally, global warming destroys the Earth. The entire thing freezes over. And at the end, at the very end, aliens come down and dig him out of the ice and grant him his wish of being a real boy. That's the movie AI. It's the biggest flaming piece of shit film I've ever seen. And yes, it was made by Steven Spielberg. So now I kind of want to watch it now. Based on that description... I want to watch it now. It's crazy. It's, I mean, it's that's why I kind of want to watch it. I want to see the world get frozen over. I want to see aliens coming down. I want to see him flying to a futuristic Disney world. Now I'm actually very intrigued to watch it. And, I, and I have Law free time. A, I have time now. Jude Law plays a, a sex robot named Gigolo Joe. Okay, now you now you sold me on it now. I feel yeah. like you did the opposite of what you, you wanted to do. You sold me now on it. Now you have to see it. Yeah, I kind of have to. Now Jude Law sex robot? Check, please. Wow. All right. I got to find where that movie is now. I got to see if it's on Amazon or something. I'm sure you can rent it on Amazon for, you know. Yeah, I'm not going to spend money on it. Let me tell it. you oh. this. If it's, if it's $5 to rent it on Amazon, that's $50 too much. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to buy it anywhere. Um, so my number one, and again, who knows how many people have seen this movie, but it is, this is my litmus test for worst movies. If someone tells me, this movie is horrible, I compare it to this movie. And if it's worse than this movie... Ah, I'll give you. I'll give you some credit. Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance. It's a hot garbage film. So here's the thing about that movie. What makes it? Multiple reasons why it's so horrible. First off, the first one wasn't bad. The first one was actually somewhat decent for the whole Ghost Rider theme. Ghost Rider is not as popular as a superhero if he's even a hero. So the first Ghost Rider that was okay. So the second I feel one, like the first one is a product of its time. You know, yeah. Ghost Rider is not categorically different than a lot of the superhero movies that were being made at the time. No. Now, it's not very good, exactly. but it's not out of line for that type of film. It's not. Again, it's not. So I had high expectations. Like, oh, the second one. It's, it's Usually sequels have a lot of money in them, and maybe it's going to be better because the, the graphics have, have developed. And Sometimes they learn from the mistakes of the first one, and they Sometimes polish they it up do. a little bit. You go, yeah. oh, okay, Absolutely. I can see where they were going here. And uh, look... I actually like Nicolas Cage. He can, he can sometimes go too cagey, but for the most part, I like it. This movie is full cagey, too cagey. Yeah. There was a part in this movie 
where for no reason at all, they just throw up a photo of Jerry Springer. Not not a live action, not Jerry Springer. No, a photo of Jerry Springer. Yeah, there you go. There's Jerry Springer on a photo for you. Jerry Springer completely inexplicably. Like, here's the thing. I've seen this movie, and I don't remember a single second of it. Uh, Edith Alba's in it. Did you know that? It's what? Edith Alba is in it. Oh, man. That's even what Idris Elba. And now, not, a, not a bit role. I'm not role. taking shots at Mind Idris because I love Idris, but he makes some bad movies. He's well, got a lot of bad movies. If you don't believe me, I am BBA. Well, here's the thing. Not a bit role either. It was a major role for him. Like, this was like, because, again, one thing about Idris Elba, I, I will give him a little pass on the movies. Kind of when you're a new actor and he is relatively unknown. I mean, The Wire came out and everyone knew that knew him from that. But, again, he wasn't like a huge star off of that. Then he did Luther, which was in the BBC, so it wasn't really in America a whole lot. When you're trying to get into the American films, you really got to kind of pick every single film. Like, any film you get in front of you, you kind of have to say yes for it. All the great actors have been in some horrible movies. There's some that Tom Cruise has been in, some that Tom Hanks has been in, some that Leo's been in. They've been in some stingers. Now, once you get to a certain part of the movies, you can start picking and choosing and doing your own movies that better craft your career. Um, but yeah, it is Alba's in that movie, and he plays an angel, and it's weird, it's just really weird, and Nicolas Cage is in it, and yeah, that is my worst movie of all time, it is the test of all other movies that I do, that is the worst movie of all time. And I think it's generally considered to be the absolute worst comic book film of all time, and that's really saying a lot. There's well, some shitty comic book Well, see, I actually looked that up to see... No, actually, the number one rated, and this has been on multiple websites, mind you. I didn't go just to one site. Uh, actually, let me just do the top. I'll do the, I'm not going to do the top five because some of those movies are pretty stupid. I'll do the top two. Number two, worst rate of all time, Battlefield Earth. Oh, yeah. I yeah, never I saw the movie, terrible. so. I never saw it, but I, I, yeah. it's one movie that I won't even watch. Ironically. Yeah, I never saw it either. And the number one worst one of all time, Batman and Robin. Well, I mean, come on, there's worse movies out there than Batman and Robin. It's, like, again, and this is it, like Batman I said, Batman and Robin is not a good movie by any stretch of the words, but at least it's fun to watch. Ironically, you know what I mean? Like, it's not unwatchable. You can watch it and you can have a laugh and go, "Hey, look at how stupid this movie was," but it can still be fun. Again, multiple websites, not even, I, I'm on one website now, I went to about three other websites, it was number one, and kind of one thing funny about this, on this website, I'm just going to read it from it, it's from um, Empire, Empire Online, gaining okay. nearly three times as many votes as the next entry. So Batman and Robin tripled the votes of Batterfield Earth to be the worst movie of all time. I mean, that's, that's saying a lot, folks. So yeah, yeah, I'm gonna stand by it. It's far more watchable than people realize. Yeah, horrible movie. So there you go. That's our top five worst films. You kind of made me want to go watch AI now, so I got to find a, a way to do that. And now I've got the free time to do it. Um, so we want to leave you a little bit more of a positive note, not all the downer of the worst movies here. There's rumors going around. I think it's pretty much confirmed now. Ryan Reynolds. Uh, Dragon Lair, 
I, I don't remember this at all. This is a game, right? Dragon Lair is a game? Yeah, so this was, I think this was a very early uh, adventure game. I remember it being in the arcades. Um, I want to say it was actually animated by Don Bluth, um, who, if you're not familiar with him, go go look it up. But he's done a ton of movies like, you know, Land Before Time and all that stuff. Uh, early animator for Disney who went off and did his own thing. Um and this was kind of one of those, I never really played it, but from what I understand, it was like a, almost like a choose-your-own-adventure. You you had to like uh, pick certain things at certain times, and it was supposed to be notoriously like really difficult. Like It was just you know kind of designed to eat your quarters at the arcade. Um, but it, it's, you know, it's designed to look like an old storybook, and you, know, you have this knight who has to save a damsel in distress from a dragon. Here's my ultimate take on this news. I, I'm sick of comic, or not comic book movies. I'm sick of video game movies. We don't need to make, uh, you know, movies based off of video games. Um, I don't need an Indiana Jones film or movie. Wow, I can't talk today. I don't need an Indiana Jones video game when I can play Uncharted. I don't need a Star Trek video game when I can play Mass Effect. Um, I think those are things that need to be kept separate. Um, again, you know, you mentioned how Max Payne was such a terrible um, adaptation of the video game. Go watch John Wick. John Wick is basically Max Payne the movie, and it's fucking great. So, you know what? If you want to, if you want to make movies and films that kind of like um, inspire each other, great, do that. They're always amazing. But don't make direct, you know, one to one. I haven't seen the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, but that might be the one exception that I go, oh, well, this is actually kind of... Jim Carrey is really good in it. Beyond that, right. it's all pretty ho-honk. So again, that's just something I, I came across. There's not a whole lot of news right now. A lot of studios are kind of shutting down. So with that, then, uh, let me ask you, what are, what are some things our fans should be watching right now? What are you watching on Netflix, Prime, whatever you have that you, you think are, is good uh, self-quarantine, staying at home watching? Yeah, you know, a, f- a friend of mine um, that I work with had recommended Picard, Star Trek Picard. Um, and I was somebody who grew up watching The Next Generation. Um, my dad loved that show when I was a kid, so we used to watch it together. Um, Picard is great. I'm only a couple episodes in, but so far it's been kind of fresh and entertaining and, and really been a fun show to watch. And actually, because of that, I've started to go back and watch some of the old um, Next Generation episodes I've never really watched the whole thing as a series from beginning to end. I've never binged watched it. Um, and I said, I always kept saying, oh, one day I'll do it. One day I'll do it. And I keep pushing it off and pushing it off for newer and newer content. So for me, this is kind of the turning point. I'm like, well, if, if I'm not going to watch it now, it's now or never. So I'm going back and I'm watching Star Trek The Next Generation. Okay. Very good. Very good. Um, like I said, I, I just finished Key and Pill. So what I actually just finished yesterday and if you have Netflix, I encourage everyone to watch Tiger King. Oh, my God. Yeah. Soap opera of life. Let me tell you, I don't want to give anything away, but that movie is like young and a restless soap opera. It's amazing. Yeah, and, and, and this this is something where, like, if you were glued to the TV like we all were when Making a Murderer came out, this is like Making a Murderer on meth. Yeah, pretty much. That is, you're actually spot on with the description of that. Um, so again, I don't want to give anything away, so I'm going to stop it there, but go watch Tiger King. So, 
Uh, again, thanks for sticking with us. We always appreciate you guys listening. Please add us. We're on Twitter, Real Geek v Geek. We're on Facebook, Geek v Geek. Um, ask us questions, give us topics, and stay safe out there. Um, make sure you vampire your cough into your your elbow there, and um, yeah, stay safe, folks.